Blog Talk Radio. Well, today marks Wrongful Conviction Day. Organizations all around the world are raising awareness about the causes and consequences of wrongful incarceration. As reporter Cherry Gregg from our sister station KYW News Radio reports tonight, Philadelphia exonerees spent the day lobbying lawmakers for change. For 43 days, Tony Wright has lived as a free man. Sometimes you know, I'm still waking up in the middle of the night, you know, lifting my head off the pillow just to make sure I'm, I'm not dreaming anymore. For 25 of his 45 years, Wright lived behind bars, wrongfully convicted of rape and murder. New DNA evidence convinced a jury to find him not guilty in August. Days later, he cut the first birthday cake ever to bear his name. It was a long and a tough road before it all. I've been so blessed. Wright's attorneys recently filed this civil rights lawsuit against the city of Philadelphia and the 11 police officers involved in his investigation. They claimed false evidence and a coerced confession led to Wright's wrongful conviction, and they want compensation. I think we have the best system in the world. Um, but it's not a perfect system. Gordon Cooney is one of the lawyers who exonerated John Thompson, a Louisiana man who spent 14 years on death row. They proved prosecutors withheld evidence and won $14 million for their client, but the U.S. Supreme Court overturned the decision, making it difficult to get compensation. Federal law now presents very few opportunities for compensation for somebody who's wrongfully convicted, and it's really been up to the state legislature. Well, I want to advocate for those guys in there that don't have a voice, like I once didn't have a voice. White went to Harrisburg today with other exonerees. They want Pennsylvania to become the 38th state that supports those the system fails to protect. Cherry Gregg, KYW News Radio for CBS 3 Eyewitness News. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where we, without question, bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight is no exception as we deal with the epidemic of wrongful convictions. We've talked about this on this program before, but tonight we take a look again at the Jesse Brooks story, the wrongfully convicted uh, citizen, really, that has been accused of a murder that he was thousands of miles away from. His mother, Lorraine Brooks, will be joining us tonight along with Paul Cialino, and hopefully we're pronouncing that right. He is a civil criminal investigator, forensic investigator, hired by Ms. Brooks to find justice for her son. Tonight we take a look at the epidemic growing out of control of the wrongfully convicted of this nation. Folks, hang on. We take off right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, William Williams. And I'll tell you right now, this is a troubling topic in this nation. And we, we can go on and on for days for those that have been wrongfully convicted, locked up, should never have been locked up. Uh, I myself been a victim of a system where I was wrongfully locked up for seven years in this state. 
this is something that needs to be addressed. Uh, and you, you know what the most puzzling thing is, is how can one be convicted with an alibi? How can one be convicted when someone is saying they were thousands of miles away at the time of a crime, then how does a prosecutor somehow bring a case and how does a judge sit on a bench and allow this type of nonsense to go on? We're going to deal with it tonight. Looking very forward again uh, uh, for our guest, uh, Paul Cialino, uh, joining us, the mother of uh, Jesse Brooks, who was accused, convicted uh, of a murder that he never committed. And we're going to hear their story. I'll let them tell it. But this is something, uh, folks, you can feel free to dial into the show tonight at 646-200-0628. That's 646-200-0628. And when you talk about wrongful convictions, Lisa, you talk about those that have been done wrong. You, we, we live it every day dealing with the IRP5 case, uh, the gentlemen that have been locked up wrongfully. Uh, this is something that is out of control and needs to be taken a look at. Oh, absolutely. And what it boils down to, Lamont, is people just deciding that, I mean, it's like your fate rests on whether or not they believe you. You can tell them the truth and have proof of the truth, and they can still say, no, we don't believe that, and still do what they want to do anyway. It's just about what they want to do. That's why our system is so broken and so unfair. No, absolutely right. And, Dennis, when you talk about uh, our criminal justice system is beyond broken, we know that. Folks want to give it a good, no, not that bad. Well, no, we're not, no, we still got the greatest system. We do not. Let's get that off the table right now. We do not. And the statistics back that up. If, if, if uh, somebody quoted this, I think I'm quoting it right, better one man, uh, better, than, better 500 men, uh, what's, the, what's the term when they're talking about people wrongfully convicted? Better five, five guilty men go free than one innocent man sit in prison. Is that what right. they're saying? Right, yes. That is something that, that tells you the magnitude of an innocent man. And I don't think people really understand that. If, if our listeners would take a moment, and Dennis, I'm going to get your thoughts in a moment. Take a moment, sitting at home, doing nothing. You, you go to work, you come home. Somebody shows up in your house with guns and handcuffs and say you committed a crime in California. You're in Colorado. You've never left Colorado. But you are being extradited to California for a crime. Think of the shock factor. I don't think people really stop and think about it. Oh, no, they don't. And what's sad about it, uh, until we take away immunity uh, from these uh, crooked prosecutors, and, and I'm using that word, and these judges, we're going to continue to have these problems. Because when, when the defense has no play in, 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 the, in, in an indictment, and, and they can't even sit in and listen what that prosecutor is saying uh, to the juries, that tells you our justice system is broke. And you're referencing? I'm referencing in, 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 in when someone's indicted or, or anything like that, how the defense does not have the ability to sit in as that uh, prosecutor is, uh, you, know, go, you know, talking to the uh, jurors. But it's just a sad thing. Until we get to a place where we take away immunity, we say, okay, if you put someone on, in prison and they're found not guilty, guess what? You're going to prison. If we start do, if we start looking at justice the way justice needs to be looked at, I guarantee you these prosecutors will start being very careful about winning at any cost. We're talking about people's lives. This is not a football game, not a basketball game. 
This is not a game. This is about somebody's life. We're talking about family members. Uh, this gentleman right here, what is it, 15 to 30 years? Come on. I mean, we got to start, and American, American people got to start speaking up and saying enough is enough. No, absolutely right, Dennis. And I think what you're referencing is, is the federal side of the grand jury exactly. where the prosecution can go in, present an argument uh, without the, the defense, defense having the opportunity exactly. to do that. And that is something that definitely needs to be looked at on the federal right, side right, of the issues without side. question. The state issues that we're dealing with as well are simply uh, judges ignoring preliminary hearings. A preliminary hearing is a hearing where a judge considers the facts and makes a determination, is there sufficient evidence to proceed forward in a trial? That's what a preliminary hearing is for. Let's take a look at what we're talking right, about. Right. But we've seen things with no evidence, no uh, uh, clear-cut evidence of guilt in any way. Uh, questionable uh, alibis saying that these people were not even present at a particular crime. It is the judge's job in that preliminary hearing to dismiss the case that we do not have sufficient evidence to proceed forward because you have evidence to arrest does not mean you have evidence to go to trial that's totally two different things so that's something that we're going to talk about tonight as well these things are really really troubling uh they need to be looked at i don't think people began to understand the magnitude of sitting in a prison cell sitting at an institution and you know you did not do anything you know you were not even present. The mental, emotional, physical anguish, not only on that inmate, but on the family members that have to suffer through that is unbelievable. My heart goes out to Ms. Brooks tonight, who, again, will be joining us on this show tonight, uh, sharing a little bit uh, about the story about her son. Uh, this, is, this stuff is absolutely insanity on every possible level. And we sit back as a society and say, well, that's just the way it is. Well, you know when we say that? When it doesn't visit us on our own right. doorstep. When it gets there, then we But change. when it gets on your doorstep, I become an immediate advocate. Yeah, we're advocates. <laughs> See, come on, yeah. but you ought to be an advocate now. Exactly. Because if it can happen to, to Mr. Brooks, if it can happen to the RP5, if it can happen to me, it can happen to anybody. William, your thoughts? I, I agree 100%. I mean, we've seen it more and more where, you know, and, and it's, a big, it's a big game, you know, I mean, the prosecution is, is constantly making these plea deals uh, to, to people that can't, that can't afford, you know, adequate, uh, adequate representation. We've seen that. We've seen here in Colorado where there was incentives for prosecutors to get, um, you know, offered by the offices uh, for prosecutors to actually uh, get the, the convictions. Um, we saw that in newspapers that was in uh, Jefferson County. And so it's, it's, you see all the time. These examples of how the system is so broken, and and then you have, of course, then there's the the sentencing disparities, you know, where we and we've covered that as well. So it's all a big game, and for those that think that the, our system is great, uh, yeah, you, you need to wake up because it's not, it's not. And like you said, unfortunately, those people, that, you know, when the light the light really comes on, when that happens, you know, and you don't want it to happen to them, but when that happens. You know, it's like now you realize real quick this system is very broken. Absolutely. And if and and you are guilty until you prove yourself absolutely Period. innocent. Period. You're not you're not innocent until proven guilty. You walking in there, and I think you brought it up in a previous show. You walk in if you walk in there, the immediately 
you are prejudged as guilty when of something of something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even if you're in if you're in uh, you know prison clothing where you're in orange or you're in shackles or you coming in plain clothes, the immediately the 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 jury is against you. Well, nowadays you're not allowed to come into a defense table uh, during a trial in orange. They have right. to dress you out in civilian clothes, uh, which they did in my case as well. Uh, but the, the, again, the still assumption is that you're guilty right. uh, because you're in the courtroom of something, and that's the, that's the pathetic uh, uh, culture uh, within our system of, of uh, the, the criminal justice system. We're going to get into this show a little bit further. Right now, I'm going to go to some current events right now, current news. This happened a couple of weeks ago. I saw this story on CNN where a Tennessee sheriff ordered his deputies to shoot a fleeing driver rather than risk damage to his patrol cars and was later captured on video saying, I love this expletive, according to a lawsuit filed by the suspect's widow. White County Sheriff's Odie Shoup and his deputies were trying to pull Michael Dow over on April 13, 2017, after he fled from Smithville cops who discovered that his license was suspended. Okay, I'm going to say that again. They discovered his license was suspended. They felt a need to chase a police chase with resources, let alone a 911 call where somebody may be having a heart attack across town and you need to get somebody there. They suspected a suspect of having a suspended license. Dash video obtained by News Channel 5 shows police trying the so-called pit maneuver in which a pursuing car forces a fleeing vehicle to turn sideways to cause the driver to lose control and to stop. As they tried to move, a police dispatcher radioed that Shoup authorized deadly force against the unarmed suspect. Ordered it. So he ordered a hit. Per 59, the sheriff was deadly force, if necessary, take the subject out by any means necessary, the dispatcher said. Dispatch, despite the order, only, uh, one deputy continued to try to ram Dow's car, which ran off the shoulder of Highway 111. Reserve Deputy Adam West then fired his gun three times at Dow, and Sparta Police Officer Charlie Sands fired another four or five shots, according to Patch. Dow was struck by at least one bullet from each officer and later died at the hospital. Shoop, who arrived on the scene moments later, was unwilling, unwillingly recorded by another deputy's body camera. I told him, I said, take him out. I don't give a so-and-so, he said. Well, ram him. I said, don't ram him. Shoot him. Expletive, expletive. Ain't going to tear my cars up, but I got two cars tore up again. He is heard saying, if they don't think I'll give the order to kill that expletive, they are really full of expletive, and he was laughing in the car, all recorded. Can somebody help me here? I, I can't. I can't help. You. I mean, and then I heard uh, no charges, nothing. No charges. Yeah. He, he is still. He was. He was. He was right in what he did. Period. William, your thoughts? Wow. I don't think there's any words for that. I mean, you know, you sit here and you and you have it all recorded, all video, and he ordered this man killed. Bottom line is the outcome of this is this man died. He was unarmed. I think we counted up, what was it, seven shots, eight shots that was fired at him, one bullet by each by two officers that were shooting into the vehicle, and he died over suspicion of a, what, suspended license? Of a suspended license. You're not even a, you're not even committed you're not a crime. You're not even a crime. You have it, you, I mean, a suspicion. 
of a suspended that we license. Just, we just got a feeling. Your yeah, we got a feeling. But then we're going to go into a high-speed chase, <laughs> which is going to risk citizens on the road. And you kill him. And you kill him. You fired eight, seven to eight shots. And all, you did, and and, and he was and he was unarmed. But somebody with a suspended license. Yeah, you fired seven to eight shots at an unarmed man. Let me make it clear: the gentleman is white who lost his life. Let me make it very clear to you and to all of our listeners: a just cause in AJC Radio, we're against any type of injustice. Doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are, what sex you are. This man did not deserve to lose his life, white, black, red, or yellow, because of a suspected suspended license. And the, the sheriff is bragging about it, that I gave the order. We need to protect our cars, but not human life. That is the sickest thing I have ever heard. We hope justice uh, takes place in this case. On the other side of the break, we're coming back. Wrongful convictions in America. The epidemic growing at a fasting, a fast and alarming rate. And we're going to be talking about the Jesse Brooks wrongful conviction. On the other side of the break, folks, this is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? Did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the United States? I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that that is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world? The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population but we have over 25% of the world's prison population. America prides itself on being the most advanced and progressive nation on earth. However, sadly, we are also the world's most archaic. I'm gonna give you a personal invitation to get involved with the fight against mass incarceration. Take a few moments to call one 855-529-4252 that is a just cause and we fight for justice again call a just cause today don't delay call 1-855-529-4252 it is time and I say high time that we take America's incarceration seriously won't you join us? Call today. Diversity is a huge part of our society. We need it. It's instrumental, invaluable. If you leave out certain people, you then in turn really limit creativity in society's ability to solve problems. That's what we can do in the next four years. Our world is not singular. There are so many voices and experiences that deserve to be heard and expressed. Diversity is really the key to life. Without diversity, life becomes stagnant. It acknowledges and values the importance of everyone, which makes us as a country even better. Martin Luther King, he had a dream. It was for everybody to be united. To stand up for freedom together. Without diversity, there's no progress. 
And that's what black history is. Black history. More than a month. Today's profile features Cynthia Summer. In February 2002, 23-year-old Todd Summer, a Marine with no previous health problems, fell ill in San Diego, California, and died a few days later. The death certificate stated the cause of death was a heart attack. In 2003, the military tested some of Summer's tissues preserved from the autopsy and found fatal levels of arsenic in his body. Investigators believe that Cynthia Summer, Todd's wife, had poisoned him in order to collect more than $250,000 in insurance benefits and $1,900 per month in survivor benefits. Cynthia Summer was arrested in Florida in November 2005 and extradited to California in 2006. In January 2007, a jury convicted Summer of first-degree murder with the special circumstances of murder by poison and murder for financial gain, which made her eligible for a sentence of life without the possibility of parole. In November 2007, before Summer was sentenced, the same judge who presided over her trial vacated Cynthia's conviction and granted her a new trial. In April 2008, based on new lab tests, the prosecution asked the court to dismiss the charges against Summer, and she was released. Summer filed a $20 million lawsuit alleging a conspiracy to wrongfully prosecute her. The lawsuit was dismissed in December 2013. Summer sought compensation from the state of California, but that, too, was denied. This has been a profile of the wrongly convicted with AJC Radio. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio, where tonight we deal with a subject that is troubling and out of control in this nation, the wrongfully convicted of our society. It is something that continues to spiral out of control. It is something that we try to figure out what is the cause, but yet we come up empty because it doesn't seem to be on the priority list in our nation's capital. And the numbers continue to grow. The wrongfully convicted that suffer in prisons all across this country are going ignored. And this issue we address tonight, a very difficult, troubling issue. Uh, We'll be talking about several different issues tonight, but definitely uh, Jesse Brooks, a gentleman that has been wrongfully convicted. He has... uh, was charged with the murder uh, of a Mr. Jack Reed and was nowhere near the scene of the crime. Now, you may ask the question, how is that even possible that something like that could happen? states here that Jack Reed was murdered in the barn of an isolated farmhouse at the time of the murder. Jesse Brooks had not been to New Hampshire in six months. And he happened to be at a doctor's appointment in Las Vegas, more than 2,700 miles away, with no knowledge of what was, what was even happening or occurring that day. Then how does he get convicted? Can anybody answer that question? How do you get convicted being in a different state at the time of a murder? Which tells me, presumably, if he's at a doctor's appointment, there's documentation that he was there to support his alibi. 
But this is, you say that there's no way that could happen. It happens every day in this country. Someone is being convicted of a crime they never committed. Someone has been accused of something where they're like, I wasn't even there. How troubling, William, how troubling. I mean, that is troubling. You know, it, it's amazing when you think about this, this, this struggle. I mean, this is a struggle. This man is struggling for his life. I think at this point, you know, right now, seven years after, this, after his conviction for this murder, you know, he is fighting for a new trial. And when you look at it, I mean, as simple, as, as simple and plain as the two facts that you just outlined, he was not even in the same state, and he was at the doctor's office, you know, when this, when this took place. I mean, this is amazing, but yet they had a – I don't know what kind of evidence that they could produce. There is no evidence. That, no, there is none, but I mean, you can imagine the system is so broken that they were able to come up with some kind of evidence. To number one, A, justify his indictment, and, uh, and B, to, get a, to actually get a conviction for this man. Well, it states here that the former Londonary man is seeking another chance to prove his innocence in Merrimack Superior Court in Concord, claiming he was not involved in the sledgehammer blundering of Reed in a Deerfield barn in 2005. Brooks, 40 years old, is serving a 15 to 30 year sentence in Arizona State Prison in Yuma for conspiracy to commit murder with his father. A 64-year-old John J. Brooks received a life sentence in New Hampshire State Prison. While Lorraine Brooks has, has said she cannot say whether her ex-husband is innocent, she has no doubt her son was not involved in the 57-year-old Reed's murder. He was convicted in November of 2009. And goes further to say we talked about Paul uh, uh, Cialino will be joining us on this show momentarily, uh, states, we, and I quote, we want him out, and we want him out now. Chicago-based private investigator and spokesman for the Brooks family. Uh, Cliff, when you talk about injustice, it, it's hard to wrap your arms around. Remember, I believe it was Joyce Ann Brown that appeared on this show, uh, was convicted of murder, first-degree murder, sentenced, I believe, what, life in 30 years to life, uh, ended up, uh, had an alibi where she clocked in at her job at the time of the of the the, the, the uh, murder was nowhere to be found. Was at her job. She was convicted. She served a lot of time. A too. lot of time. Cliff, your thoughts on it, this, this? I said it before. This is an epidemic, and until people get outraged, they did not do this. Nothing's going to change. But somebody has to be the voice of these folks. Yeah, because when you look at this case and, and uh, they're saying, well, he was charged and convicted and sentenced for conspiracy. But when you look at the story and who's, who they're using as a witness that uh, saying he conspired is a man that they have on trial say, you're being charged. Give us some more information. Give us uh, Jesse Brooks or we're going to give you more time. Now, I mean, this is riddled with all kind of holes that the the prosecutor was trying to become a uh a, uh what was a city council or a, a governor or something like that and use this case as okay i'm going to make an example of of a man and really this family and but you look at it, you say okay so the star witness against him is a man that's saying you know i want to be able to do less time i want to get a deal 
but where's the rest of the evidence? Where is where is anything that says that uh, he was part of a conspiracy to commit murder? The the one statement that this man says he was on a phone call with him, that is not proof. And that is where this, you know, the prosecutors take this conspiracy and they say, well, they can take conspiracy to do whatever, throw it, throw it up against the wall and see what sticks. You got conspiracy to commit mail fraud, conspiracy to commit wire fraud. Then you got conspiracy to commit murder because another criminal says, okay, yeah, he was there with me because I want, I want 10, 20 less years or I don't want the death penalty. Those are the type of things that should be uh, taken into account when you're looking at a situation like this. this. This is ridiculous. This is totally insane that somebody that's on trial can say, well, he did it, too. If you give me uh, 10, 20 years off my sentence, then uh, we, let's lock him up, too. Oh, absolutely right. And uh, th- these are things that simply do not make any sense. That, and this is why uh, there has to be a voice crying out against this nonsense. This is unbelievable, but it is believable because of the times in which we live. People are in situations fighting to prove I did not do it when it is supposed to be exactly the opposite. And that is something that just cannot uh, be tolerated on any level. And that's something that we definitely have to look at. Joining us now, we talked about, we're honored to have uh, Mr. Paul uh, Cialino. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Forensic civil criminal investigator, it's our honor to, to have uh, uh, Mr. Cialino Cia, excuse me, Cialino on our program tonight. And uh, are you there, Paul? Yeah, you guys are pronouncing it perfect, man. Just call me Paul, though. It's great. I'll, I was just going to ask you for the way out. Okay, let's just do the Paul thing. And uh, so glad that you, so glad you decided to join us tonight, Paul. And as we're getting into this case, I'm going to give you the floor uh, to talk about the Brooks case at whatever level you can. I understand we're going to be joined by the mother as well. Is that correct, uh, Lorraine? Yeah, Lorraine, Lorraine Brooks is going to join us as well. Oh, okay, okay, and, and we appreciate that. And, Paul, give us a little bit, uh, if you can, give us a little uh, background on this case. Uh, we've been talking about it, about him being miles away at the time that this crime was uh, committed. Again, talking about the epidemic in this country to easily, not go through a whole bunch of effort, but to easily convict the innocent in, in our criminal justice system is a, out is really a shame uh, that we are at this point in our society right now. Give us a little bit uh, for our listeners. Introduce yourself, and we'll go from there. Well, guys, I've been involved in the wrongful conviction business uh, north of 35 years at this point, and I have personally exonerated over eight guys from death row and doing life sentences. Uh, who multiple juries, appellate courts, Supreme Courts, had all considered guilty, guilty, guilty. Let's kill them. Let's get rid of them, and lo and behold, uh, eight of them are out of prison because they didn't do it, didn't have anything to do with it. Uh, to, and I've been dealing with this nationwide. I mean, so if anyone thinks that there's a presumption of innocence in this country when you walk into a courtroom, they're sadly mistaken. Not true. And, in fact, most jurors look at a defendant sitting at a table with a bunch of lawyers dressed in nice suits, and their mind made up before anyone even opens their mouth. Hell, most of them got their mind made up on a bus to the courthouse, okay? Uh, because oh. their attitude is he wouldn't be there if he didn't do something. Yep. And it starts with the prosecutors and the police having these big press conferences, and they start molding their case to the public. And the public reads the papers. They watch TV. And if it's a high-profile case, you better believe everybody within 100 miles is paying close attention. So by the time you get the trial three months later, five years later, eight years later, 
everyone in the world has figured you're guilty of sin. And this is a problem that most defendants face because once their lawyers say, don't, don't talk to nobody, don't say nothing, don't do any interviews, you could not make a bigger mistake if you're innocent. Absolutely. You better talk. You better talk a lot, and you better talk wherever anyone will let you talk about it because you need to influence public opinion before you ever set foot in a courtroom in this country. Yeah, well, that's something. That's something. And we were talking earlier, Paul, regarding uh, the preliminary hearing process uh, where a judge makes a decision. Uh, and I'm trying to find out how in the world did any judge sitting on a bench with an alibi this strong makes a statement, we have sufficient evidence to take Mr. Brooks to trial. I'm, well, I'm still figuring that out. Yeah. Well, Mr. Brooks had a problem, and it was called uh, the attorney general in the person of Kelly Ayotte. And Kelly Ayotte had prosecuted Jesse Brooks's father for, this, for a murder in New Hampshire. Uh, and, and I won't get into that part of the case. I don't represent Mr. Brooks Sr. But okay. n- this was not a planned murder. This was something that went terribly wrong. And it was a long-running battle between a couple individuals. But Jesse Brooks is sitting in Las Vegas, Nevada, the day uh, that this murder happens. He's sitting in Las Vegas the day he supposedly is plotting the murder of this guy in New Hampshire. With, and and the, the only evidence against Jesse Brooks is that he was president of a meeting at his home with his father, and a guy named Joseph Ruman. Ruman is a co-defendant in a murder trial. And like all bad cases, what we have usually that sends people to the penitentiary when there's no uh, confession or DNA or videotape of that crime is you have snitch testimony or cooperating witnesses. And cooperating witness is just a fancy term for guys who got caught and are now going to snitch for a good deal. Right. Now, people snitch and make good deals for various reasons. Uh, they don't want to sit in prison for the next uh, millennium. They don't want to, you know, maybe they weren't involved and this is their only way out. Uh, a lot of people get pressured into testifying by the police and the authorities uh, because if they don't, you're going to do 80 years. Well, most people, in my experience, and that would include organized crime figures, they're not going to do that kind of they're not going to, They don't roll with those big numbers. Right. And in this case, the two guys that testified against Jesse Brooks, we've got them on tape prior to, prior to the trial, saying that it's all bullshit, it never happened. Right. Now think about that for a minute. The two star witnesses against you have admitted before they've ever testified, Joe Bruman said, frankly, and I I won't use the language now, but basically the state don't care what I say. They want to stick it right up his rear end and put him in prison. And and Bruman, sure enough, went in there and told the big lie. And, you know, when... When you have over 1,500 newspaper articles, radio bits, TV bits, slamming this kid for two years before he ever goes to court, it was a disaster waiting to happen. Wow. And you know what? Look, that's exactly the way it works uh, in the criminal justice system today. Uh, Paul, we've just been uh, Lorraine is on the line as well. Lorraine, how are you this evening? Uh, Very good, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we've been in conversation with Paul here, we, and we want to get your thoughts. Uh, a tragedy of what they're trying to do to your son, what they've done, and the fight to free him. How, how are you dealing with that as a mother, Lorraine? Uh, it, well, I, you know, like any mother, I'm just 
staying with it and, you know, supporting my son. But at the same time, I just keep digging through things. And it's just amazing that I, I find more stuff all the time. And uh, my son is 10 years now, and we have gone through the process with, um, you know, his appeal. But I, it, it's just endless. I, I wish I was more educated going into it, but I've, I've made serious mistakes. I allowed the same attorneys from the trial to work with the appeal attorney, and mm. they covered up their mistakes and it's just it seems i've sealed jesse's fate here unless we can get somewhere with the habeas okay and uh how's the publicity going as far as people uh, learning and knowing about uh your your fight to to, uh, i read that you guys are fighting for a new trial Uh, how is that process coming yeah actually Lorraine, you want me to address that? Yes. Um, Like like I told you earlier, guys, the the problem is is that your lawyers always, almost always say, don't talk to the media. We're not talking to them. We're not making any statements. So you're so buried under under this this mountain of bad publicity that it's almost impossible to climb out. And when you're in a small jurisdiction especially where the local reporters are dependent upon the sheriff, the chief of police – and the prosecutor's office for all their stories and everything going on in the criminal justice system in that area, they tend to not write anything that would make them angry or upset them. In other words, they're not going to print anything truthful unless it's somehow so explosive they just have to do it. So we have held press conferences in New Hampshire, and we've gotten a lot of good play uh, at, at extraordinary expense to Mrs. Brooks. And, and frankly, if it wasn't for her... Uh, really pushing this thing and allowing us to do this, uh, Jesse's story would go untold. Now, we have gained momentum in the last several years, but I I have to tell you, we have to be able to reach, and this is any criminal defendant, the triers of fact, you know, and these appellate court justices, they know this has been through the courts one, two, three times, and and they trust their colleagues to do the right thing and the moral thing and the ethical thing. And in this particular case, uh, none of those ethics, morals, or uh, even legal stuff is not entered into this case because what has happened to Jesse Brooks is uh, not only illegal, unethical, and immoral, but but it's a it's a travesty. So the word is getting out slowly, but a lot of it is we just have to self-promote it because the media really, you know, they're tired of the story. We've done all that. Uh, everyone says they're innocent that's in jail, which is absolutely not true. But that's, of course, what the prosecutors are going to say. Now, we have uncovered mountains of bad acts and illegal acts committed by the government in this case, and you can't believe how difficult it is to get that word out, or maybe you can. But, oh, yeah. Uh, and, you know, I mean, you know, and part of the problem, we have a reverse discrimination thing going on here. We have, we have a, a white kid uh, from a fairly affluent family who had really good lawyers, or presumably good lawyers because they were very expensive, and all the benefits of, of having a bankroll to fight this thing. Now, the problem, of course, is nobody in the Brooks family has ever had a parking ticket before this. And all of a sudden, you're dealing with capital murder, murder conspiracy, and a host of other crimes. They have no idea. They, they are no better versed in what to do 
than anybody else on the street that's never been in trouble before. And I would tell you, a career criminal is in a much better position to fight these things because they know what they're up against. Somebody like the Brooks family are like deers in the headlight. They're going to listen to the professional help they hire. In this particular case, the professional help was so horrendously unqualified to do this work, I don't even know where to start. But they had no business doing these cases or taking a nickel for services that they really never rendered. They showed up, they sat there, and they watched their clients get flushed down the toilet. On, on, on a couple of cases that were pretty easy to win if you put forth any kind of effort. But when you don't call witnesses, you don't hire experts, you don't do anything but sit there and let the government put their case in, no matter how ridiculous it is, if you don't fact check what the government's saying has happened, then you got a problem, and you're going to go down. And, and a lot of people find this out the hard way. There's a lot of innocent people sitting in prison, probably 10 to 20% of the people sitting in jail in this country, and we're talking 2 million people, so what, 40,000, 50,000 people are probably innocent of what they've been uh, convicted of? That's a big number. Is. That is a real big number, and it's a, it ind- indicative of a real big problem in this country. No, without question. And, uh, again, uh, Paul, we've lived it uh, as we talk about the RP, uh, but known as the RP5 uh, now uh, with and, those and guys. I, and, and there's a perfect example, right? you got some middle-class guys who presumably have access to some good legal help and, and who should know better because they're well-educated, they're bright, uh, they're smart guys. And, once again, here we go. we got a bunch of guys who have never been in trouble, and all of a sudden they're in the fight of their life, and they, and, you know, and what does the government do? They money whip them. They just beat – listen, look at the government with this big black hole next to them, and it's filled with $100 bills. And no matter how many times they reach down there to grab them, there's a lot of $100 bills still. Now, you look at the defendant, and maybe he's got a garbage can sitting next to him with $100 bills. Well, that garbage can is going to get empty pretty quick when you're fighting the government because they will spend millions to make a point. Millions. And they don't care because it's not their money. It's your money they're spending. And they spend it silly-willy. They don't care. But you, you just they will outspend you and bury you under a mountain of money and people and resources. And that's what people really don't understand. No, and your insight on that, Paul, is absolutely correct. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you this. Uh, Pastor Banks, uh, uh, mother of seven children, uh, one of the RP5 actually being in there, uh, raised her kids. And this, Lorraine, I'll get your thoughts on this in a moment. Uh, raised her kids to believe that the system worked, that if you do the right thing, if you don't do anything wrong, you don't have nothing to worry about. That's right. You're, you're innocent. So that's the blind side of the legal the justice system that a lot of people are under this delusion that, well, if you have the evidence and you didn't do nothing wrong, there's nothing to worry about. Well, that's absolutely not true. And it, it really, uh, for Pastor Banks, brought her to a point of really what I taught my children all of these years, to believe in a system that I thought worked, uh, uh, only to live the nightmare of her life and have not only one child wrongfully convicted, three wrongfully convicted. Lorraine, I presume you thought the same thing. Yes. Honestly, I I thought there would be not a prayer that he would be convicted. The evidence would be, you know, brought forward and everything would go just accordingly. 
And that wasn't the case at all. His lawyers just sat there, like Paul says, and did nothing. Well, well, I'll tell you what, if you, if you say to get the word out is one of those things that seem difficult. I can tell you right now, AJC Radio, a Just Cause organization, uh, will put our efforts into bringing this to our listeners around the world, around the United States. We will put information on our websites. We will tell everyone of this injustice. So at least on this side, you have a friend with AJC Radio and a Just Cause to get the word out. Uh, and, and I'll tell you what, uh, Paul, we're down to putting press releases, whatever it takes, uh, and, and Lorraine, to get the word out across this nation that we cannot remain silent when injustice is present. It, it's not an option uh, to remain silent. That's the problem with this country right now. There are too many people remaining silent. It's not going to happen on our watch. And uh, we want the opportunity to be definitely partners with you in bringing this message of injustice and bringing, hopefully, uh, him to a new trial which where, where we can bring uh, your son, Home Lorraine, back to you. That is our purpose. That is our vision. And we share the same vision, I would believe, that you folks do as well. That's wonderful. Well, gentlemen, I, I can't thank you enough for those, those thoughts and sentiments and, and, more importantly, your actions. And, and I want to mention that, uh, you know, I've been working with Lorraine for uh, going on 10 years now. And... Uh, this was a woman who's enjoyed a lot of success in her life, but comes from very humble beginnings. And, and you know, the American dream. Her father is an iron worker. Her mother's a housewife. Uh, she's got a number of sisters, three sisters. They're raised in very, very modest, humble beginnings. And, mm-hmm. and everyone's told, you know, hey, just like uh, Pastor Banks, uh, behave yourself, do the right thing, uh, don't break the law, and everything will be fine. And Lorraine has found out the hard way. I, and, I, and I will tell you, uh, she's become the best paralegal I've ever worked with at this point because well, she's dedicated her life to getting her son out of jail. And no one knows more about this case than she does. Uh, but that's, that's the kind of efforts it takes. And, uh, and I've been talking to Olivia, who's, who's involved in your case in Denver there, and how, how heavily uh, involved she's been for years now. And, um, and I spoke with Judge Sarikin about the case. And it's just a travesty. It's a biblical proportion travesty, but most people are too busy to pay attention until it happens to them. That's the Absolutely problem. Right. Absolutely right. Right? People got to get active before it happens to them, not after. Right. And I mean, that's, that, that's exactly the right, the, the right attitude to have. What we want to do, you guys got a few more minutes to come back with us. We want to talk some more. On the other side of the break, yeah. you, you, no, we got okay. no life anymore. We could do this all night long. <laughs> okay, folks, uh, Paul, we're going to bring you and Lorraine right back. And, uh, again, we're honored to have you as guests here uh, and for the insights you bring to our listeners. Ladies and gentlemen of America, we're coming right back, uh, talking more about Jesse Brooks, uh, a gentleman that has been a, really a victim of a system that has failed. And we're going to get more into that on the other side of this break. This is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. We'll be right back. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. 
Call A Just Cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A Just Cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. How often does our justice system get it wrong, convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit? A new project by the University of Michigan Law School and the Center for Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern University School of Law tries to answer that question. In the last 23 years, more than 2,000 people have been convicted of serious crimes and later exonerated, according to the National Registry of Exonerations. By far, the largest segment was almost 1,200 defendants falsely convicted because of large-scale patterns of police corruption, generally in drug and gun cases. Of the remaining 873 defendants exonerated, nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, it took more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in a nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned receive little or no attention from the media, according to the report's authors. Welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is AJC Radio. Tonight, dealing with a topic that is of huge concern, not only to us here at AJC Radio, but to people all across the country and the nation. Wrongful convictions, the growing epidemic, sweeping America at an alarming rate. And tonight, we've been honored, uh, sincerely honored, to have Paul Cialino and Lorraine Brooks talking about uh, Mr. Jesse Brooks, uh, the gentleman that has had an alibi of 2,700, if I'm quoting that right, 2,700 miles in distance away from the actual crime uh, and was then still convicted, had an alibi at a doctor's appointment, was nowhere near the crime scene, convicted of a crime he did not commit. And I guarantee you we're going to get the word out of the innocence of Mr. Jesse Brooks. Lorraine and Paul, thanks so much for being on this program tonight. Well, I, I just want to help you out a little bit on that alibi, okay? Because there's there's two places you want to be when you're accused of a crime, sitting sure. in court or in jail, okay? If you're in one of them two spots, you could not have committed the crime, right? Correct. In Jesse Brooks's case, he was in court that morning in front of a judge, and he had a lawyer with him, and there was a court reporter there, and his mother was there for some time. Uh, but forget about his mother because no one ever believes the mama. But 
they tend to believe judges and defense lawyers who are sitting next to a client. And Jesse Brooks was in court with who the, his attorney is now the DA of Clark County. Now, if I ever wanted a witness come to court and say, I wasn't at no meeting, I was with him, it would be the DA of, Clark, of a county with a million people in it. Right. Jesse Brooks' lawyer was never called to court. The court transcripts were never subpoenaed. Then Jesse went to his doctor, met with him. Then he was at Walgreens spending money on videotape, getting medicine. Now, if you wanted an alibi that was rock solid, there it is. That's but Jesse's lawyers failed to bring that evidence into court. And the state knew about that evidence, but they buried it. They acted as if it never happened. So, That's the alibi Jesse Brooks had. Wow. They don't come stronger than that. It doesn't get any better, fellas. And it's, it's outrageous that it was never brought forward. Wow, that well, is unbelievable. That, the criminality doesn't end there with the government. And I'll let Lorraine explain this to you because I'm talking far too much. But now they're trying to kill Jesse Brooks. And, and I'll let Lorraine explain to you what they've done to him in prison and, and how they've gone about doing it. And, Lorraine, don't forget about the, uh, the, the false documents. Yes, yes. Well, first of all, Jesse spent a year in solitary confinement. This was for... Uh, no disciplinary whatsoever that was in New Hampshire. And then he was transferred to Arizona. And we didn't learn until years later um, why he was treated so poorly when he got there. Um, He was kept in solitary for years. um, But we eventually learned through the right to know request that they had falsified his prison record and they sent him to Arizona claiming that he was serving a capital murder sentence. And this couldn't be just a mere oversight on, on their part because capital murder in New Hampshire is a death penalty. So the fact that they did that, they had intentions on just having Jesse just put away in solitary for an indefinite amount of time. It was just, and if, from that point on, he was just labeled. And, you know, once you have an institutional record, you're considered a problem always. And uh, he has been just mistreated medically. They, he, he went into prison with uh, a severe chronic back pain and has an artificial implant in his back and re-injured it while he was incarcerated but they have just used his medication to punish him further. They would start it and stop it and put him in solitary and uh, take his visits away. It, it, it's just been just endless torture for him. And I believe it was so we would just stop pursuing and digging into things further. They just wanted... They pushed him off on the border of Mexico, and we're hoping that everything would just go away. Yeah, that's, uh, wow. Uh, I'll tell you what, someone who's lived some of this nightmare, Pastor Rose Banks, uh, dealing with some of the treatments that your son uh, has, in, has been treated is, a, is an absolute nightmare. We're going to bring Pastor Banks on. She has a comment uh, she'd like to share with us. Pastor Banks, are you there? 
Yes, I'm here. Thanks for taking my call. I was listening to, is it Lorraine? Yes, it is. Um, yes, I was listening to you, and I, I my heart goes out to you as a mother because I think unless you live this horrible nightmare, you just wouldn't believe that this type of thing is going on in this country. And I I really believed in it, even though we had never been in a situation such as we are now, I truly believe that if you have your evidence and and it and it holds up and you got everything you need to give to the jury, I'm thinking, okay, well, uh, I tell these guys, you don't have to worry about it. You got all the evidence that shows that you didn't do anything wrong, and I I want to encourage them over and over again, only to find out that it doesn't matter if you have evidence. It the the problem with that is that the judge makes the decision on whether to let the evidence in or allow the jury to see it. We had an expert witness in our case that had he taken the stand, these guys would have never went to prison. When the expert witness got on the stand, uh, she immediately said, I'm going to dismiss you. We're not going to use your testimony. These are things that so unbelievably cruel and evil to me. And then when the guys got up to try to give their, uh, about their life to the jury and, and what they do, and he had the nerve, the prosecutor had the nerve to stand up and said, this is not about about your life. Uh, huh. We want you to, to omit talking to the jury about you and what you do and all this. It's not important. Well, I think it is important when you are standing there in front of the jury making the jury believe I'm this terrible criminal, I think I have a right to say that that's not who I am, but they weren't allowed to say it. And and so when I hear you tonight, I can't even, I, I don't have to say I can imagine. I know what your heart must feel like because I felt like somebody was had a knife in my heart just turning it and turning it. And no matter what you did, no matter what the guy said, nobody believed it. I remember my son saying to me, uh, when I went to visit him in prison, he said, Mama, he said, you know what? I, I asked myself the question, what am I doing in prison? We were working on something that would benefit uh, the country. It would help law enforcement. And how did I get uh, a payback by going to prison? He said, I always told myself, I never go to prison. I'm not going to do anything or break the law that would cause me to go to prison. The fact is, you don't have to break the law. You don't have to do any of those things. If they're out to get you and want to put you in prison, that's what they're going to do. And so then they took my daughter from me uh, because the guys wouldn't take a plea deal. And my daughter has never been in trouble in her whole life. She works in the church, and she's a counselor there. She works with me. We're a very close-knit family. And when they said they were going to send my daughter to prison, uh, we got an expert uh, – handwriting expert to show that my daughter never signed on anything that they was uh, uh, saying she did sign on. Do you know what she did? She wouldn't even let the jury know about it. She just put it away, didn't address it, nothing, and, and put my daughter in prison. And then as she sends her away, she says, good luck, Miss Clark. And oh, I never yeah. will forget the – I can't tell you the pain that was in my heart. This is my daughter. She's been a good girl all her life. She's never done nothing wrong. Then when she brings the absolute proof and put it in front of the judge, she won't even look at it, won't deal with it. You're going to prison. And, in fact, one of the attorneys was representing the men said, uh, 
said said to one of the guys, he said, it it doesn't matter if your sister uh, didn't do it, if she didn't commit the crime. It doesn't matter. She's going to prison anyway. And I'm thinking, how do you do that? So I surely understand our prayers are with you and with your son that somehow through all of this, and we have to kind of join together a force for against injustice in this country because if we don't, how many more families and children will be uh, torn apart by a system that has this kind of injustice? It's a sad thing, and my heart does go out to you and to Paul working very hard and we appreciate it. So glad you're on the show tonight. And whatever that Just Cause can do, I promise you they will do it. They'll be working overtime for this. So you oh. take care, and I wish you the best. Thank you so much. Thank you, Pastor Banks. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Uh, the passion there from Pastor Banks um, uh, that, that you guys share, in, of course, in common, unfortunately, uh, the injustice of this nation and what, what you have gone through. Lorraine, tell us a little bit more uh, about the abuse. Uh, what other abuses are you aware of that's happened uh, to Mr. Brooks while he's been incarcerated? You see the attempts made, uh, all too familiar what we hear within our federal system. No checks and balances of abuse, uh, whether it's medication, not giving enough medication, not seeing to your son as they should be. Any other things you'd like to share with our listening audience? Well, the medication is the number one abuse, and he is battling right now in the Arizona courts to try and get that straightened out. But the years of abuse of just fooling with the medication and keeping him in solitary confinement and taking away his visitation for two and a half years, uh, in fact, during that the course of the two and a half years, he lost his cousin, who was like a brother to him. They grew up together, and he lost his grandmother. He lost both of them within seven days of each other. And he asked, we asked if we could just get a bereavement visit, even if it were behind glass, just so we could see him. And they even denied that. And this was all based on bogus tickets that they were just crafting. All of them have been reversed, but he can never get back the visitation with his cousin. He can never get back the the grieving that we needed to do all together as a family. They, it, 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 the damage is irreparable. I, and he's lost the best years of his life when he should have been you know, establishing a family and enjoying work. And it, it's just, it, it's so cruel. They, they know this is wrong. And the more we fight, the more abuse he takes. And it, it's just an endless cycle. Who is the representative, uh, Lorraine, uh, for your state there, the congressman or the senator? Who represents you in Washington? We have uh, two senators. We have um, Maggie Hassan and we have Jean Shaheen. They're both Democratic senators. Okay. And what was the first lady's name? Uh, Jean Shaheen and Maggie Hassan. Have you guys reached out to their offices? Um, we have not. We've been just strictly dealing with the court system. 
Okay, well, here's what we, we're going to do is AJC, uh, just cause. Uh, we will reach out uh, to those representatives. Uh, we've been fortunate uh, to have a pretty good reform on Capitol Hill uh, as an advocacy organization. We'd like to uh, submit a letter uh, about these types of injustices. I think it needs to be brought to their attention, to the governor's attention. We will do whatever we can uh, to bring attention to this. And I'll tell you what, when Congress starts asking questions of conduct, uh, things tend to change, and we're hopeful uh, that this happens in this case. So um, I'm going to definitely get, uh, get get your folks' contact information, and we will, Lisa, okay. uh, definitely start uh, putting these things in place uh, to fight. It's just this is so clear and blatantly wrong. And hearing Paul talk and hearing you, Lorraine, talk and the pain and the anguish, it's unacceptable. We are going to speak out against it. Lisa? Yeah, we're gonna, we'll definitely get on top of that. So, folks, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. I, I, I'm just so grateful. Thank you. No, we want to definitely be a part of that. And this is how things happen. People have to work together and come together. Paul, uh, your thoughts of, of, the, of the treatment. Uh, we've, we've done stories on this show where folks have been really treated horribly bad um, in, within, the, within the institutions, whether it's food, whether oh, well, it's... It doesn't stop at the at the courthouse front steps when they carry your ass out of there for the next uh, 10, 20, 30 years. It continues on. And in Jesse Brooks's case, the stuff they had done to this kid, and he's not a kid, he's a grown man, but I, I could call him a kid because I got children that age. It, they have accused him of being in the Mexican mafia, in the Aryan Brotherhood. In uh, every game you could think of, he's never... It, he gets along with everyone in prison. He is the kind of guy that tries to make everything better for everyone else. Uh, he's funny. He's creative. Uh, he's humorous. Uh, all Everybody likes him. And this is a problem for them. They don't like that. They don't want him to be popular. He, Jesse's the kind of kid, give him a bag of lemons, he's going to go make lemonade. That's what he does. And, yeah. and, and, and frankly, he's the one that props up his mother. I mean, his mother, and, this, and I listen to Pastor Banks and my heart breaks because I deal with the parents on a regular basis. Uh, they destroy them. The system just destroys them. And then they punish them again because every time you go to that prison, you're treated like an inmate. And they will, I mean, I didn't even know that, that the guy's sister got locked up too. I mean, talk about uh, coming after your family and just driving a stake through their heart. Now, they did the same exact thing with Lorraine. Uh, and, and, fellas, you don't know this. Lorraine and her husband got divorced many years ago. The state of New Hampshire is forcing her to pay his incarceration cost. Wow. He writes a check every year to the state of New Hampshire, and they've been divorced for many years. Now, huh? think about that what? for a second. And they do it because they can do it, because they can do it, because they can get away with it. Because a United States senator named Kelly Ayotte, drove this, this wagon of wrongful conviction and craziness, wasn't good enough to put her husband away for life and put her kid. And basically, when we say 15 to 30, remember something. And you guys are fully aware of this fact. To be paroled, you got to go in there and fall on the sword and say, I was a bad boy, and I regret it, and I won't do it no more. And if you go in there and say, hey, uh, gentlemen, ladies, I didn't commit this crime. I'm not sorry about anything. You guys owe me. Well, guess what? 
you're never going to get paroled with that attitude. And I'll tell you one thing about Jesse Brooks. It'd be a cold day in hell before he walks into a parole board and says, sorry, yeah, I was involved in that homicide. It will never happen, which means what? He's going to do 30 years, minimum, because they're not going to parole Jesse Brooks after 15. Now, he's got 10 in, and he's got 10 in in the harshest conditions you could do it in. And it has not improved much in 10 years. I mean, they sent him to Arizona, but Portugal. To throw them in 120, 130-degree heat, you all know anyone locked up in the south in this country, there's no air conditioning for inmates. They don't enjoy fans. They lay in a cell that can reach temperatures of 130, 35 degrees, and they lay there. That's what they do. And they drink out of their toilets. That's what they do. That's the only way they could survive this. And they've done this to Jesse nonstop. They stop his visits. They don't let him talk on the phone. It is just nonstop torture. And it's unrelentless. This kid maintains a good attitude, and he's always propping his mom up, and he's always telling his mom, hey, hang in there. I'm okay. Don't worry about me. You just keep well, doing what you're doing. Go have a life. Mrs. Brooks does not have a life. Now, I'm, I have spent years with her at this point. She don't date. She don't go to movies. She don't go to exercise class. She gets up and walk maybe at 3 o'clock in the morning, and then she works on this case for the next 16, 17, 18 hours. Then she starts over and does it all again the next day. Now, that's her life. And, and, and I, you could say whatever you want, she's locked up doing the time with her kid, as Pastor Banks is doing with her children. When your kid's locked up, especially wrongfully, you're doing day for day with them. Because what well, happens, you're, you're the lifeline, man, right? I mean, they don't have anyone to talk to except you. So you're living it every minute, every day. You're going to all them horrible prison visits, getting strip searched, Getting your hand, getting groped by a bunch of hillbillies. I won't even get there, okay? But getting groped and getting terrorized. And maybe after you drove eight hours to see your kid, then they tell you, you can't visit him today. You got a ticket last night. Or uh, we're on lockdown. I mean, this is what these families go through. Yes. <clears throat> this is absolutely uh, just horrendous. Um, you know, Paul, the things you say and the things that Lorraine has gone through, it is uh, it's a tragedy of the of the system. We actually have Pastor Banks wants to come back on, have another uh, comment about uh, this situation. Pastor Banks, you are live. Yeah, I was just listening to Lorraine. I can't even imagine her son being in solitary confinement for two and a half years and then no visitors either. You know what? They tried to do some of the same things to us. My son, uh, of the five, five guys wasn't there, I don't even think, a good month before they had taken my son because they really angled everything toward him and put him in solitary confinement. It just happened our group was on, was in Washington at the time, and they went to the BOP and told them that my son had not done one thing, not one thing, and they ushered him into solitary confinement. Well, while we were in Washington, we got a chance to talk with the BOP chief and, and told him what happened was he called down there and said, release that boy out of that, out of solitary confinement. So he wasn't in there but a few hours. But they happened to be in Washington already, which worked out really good. But uh, that two and a half years in solitary confinement, that's enough to literally dissolve your brain into nothing. The pressure 
I was just reading the legal news this past week where they were talking about the damage that's done to people when you uh, put them in solitary confinement. They had people in Oklahoma that were actually hanging themselves because they couldn't take the pressure. And and mm-hmm. I can understand his mother. I can understand his mother uh, sacrificing her life. We have been working on on this case for the last five and a half years. Uh, and I'm telling you nonstop. I can't count the trips that these guys have taken to Washington and finally got uh, able to get through and, and, and talk to uh, to congressmen and senators. And now they're listening and, and, and moving on this situation. So it's it's a lot of work. You're not just going to sit back and say, okay, well, maybe he'll get out. You better fight like the Dickens did, I mean, to get it done. That's how hard it is. But once you get in into the situation where you got – a report on Capitol Hill with some congressmen and senators, they welcome you in. They listen to what you're saying. And that's why we are as far as we are right now. But I'm telling you, oh, my God, I can't even imagine. I I got upset when they told me they put my son in, in solitary confinement, and that was only for not even a whole day. And I thought, what did he do that he would put him down there? But they've never done it again. They've done a lot of things to us from the very first visit that we had just before Christmas. We get in there for Christmas visit, and this and this uh, uh, this superintendent that was over the over the over the camp, he said he comes in there screaming at us, and said, "If you don't do everything I tell you to do, I'm going to cut your visit short." I said, "This is our first visit. This is the first visit for God's sake." And I'm telling you, they have treated my family just like Paul said. They treat the family like inmates. They don't respect you. They've done all kind of things. They to fix it where I wouldn't be able to get to the prison course. I'm still going. And uh, But there's a lot of bad things behind the wall that uh, that the public don't know that's going on with, with these people. And you are literally, as Paul said, the whole family's in prison. Because as long as those guys are in there, you, that's where you are. We're on that every day. But we made some excellent progress, and I think AJC is going to be able to do a lot in reference to this young man because I'm telling you, uh, Somebody higher up has got to take care of it because nobody else cares. And, uh, honey, my heart hurts for you. And I pray to God that you would get your son out of that place, and AJC will fight like crazy. And when we hear stuff like this, it's been worse than what they did to our guys, and they really did them very bad. So I'm so glad you're on the show tonight, and I I hope I'm not over-talking myself, but this is unbelievable. No, and actually, he spent three years in solitary confinement, not two and a half. Oh, it, my it, God. It, yeah, it, it, it's just been endless. But, I, I mean, Paul and I could go on indefinitely just telling you things that they have done wrong. It, it, is, it is just beyond belief. I mean, they made sure that they didn't investigate this case, and and, and the attorneys did nothing. So... It, it, it was just a complete nightmare. I can understand. That's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. And it's I, all I mean, confinement. Nobody, nobody wants yeah. to go to that place. No, no, not at all. But it, it, this, this is some major wrongdoing here. Well, I guarantee you we're going to take a look at it. Uh, Pastor Banks, thank you. Do you have anything else you wanted to add? No, we're just going to pray really hard, and, and, and AJC's got to really work hard and do everything you can to get that boy out of that situation. Thank that you. is so sad. 
to me. It, it aches inside because it feels like the pain is mine as well as it was. We we live it. The people that live it, we feel the pain. Yes, I I can relate. Yes, but AJC will fight. There are some fighting people, let me tell you. Thank you. Oh. And thank you too, honey. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. Hey, Lamont. Yes, yes, Paul. Here, here's the sick thing. Okay, I'm glad your your guys got locked up, and they're wrongfully convicted. And let me tell you why. I'm sitting there listening to Pastor Banks, man. I can I can barely talk, but that's what it takes for the people. I mean, people like you, people of substance and people of character, to sit up and pay attention. Unfortunately, they've got to live this thing and go through it, and. Listen, I've been in the beginning of this Innocence Project stuff from day one, and and i got to tell you, it's only because of people like you all that stand up and refuse to uh, let this happen and keep fighting. That's the only reason these guys get justice. Let me, let, let me be very clear. The system is not self-correcting. we got to run it up their tailpipe and make them look at it and make them examine it. Otherwise, they don't come out of those prison cells, all right? And it's because they only start listening now when you, people like you show up and Lorraine Brooks shows up, okay? Because you guys vote and you can talk and you're literate and you can read and you can vote and you can pick up the phone and call people and write emails. And this is the thing that defeats these wrongful conviction cases, okay? It isn't the system going, oh, oh, oh we fixed that. Uh, that guy, we got him out of jail. I could do 10 shows on how they try to keep you in after they find out you're innocent, okay? It's only because of public pressure and political pressure put on them that they cave in. That's the only reason. And so when I listen to Pastor Banks, she should have a national show to talk about this because people will listen to her. <laughs> this is some career criminal's mom, you know, beefing about her kid not eating steak every night, okay? This is a person who's lived through this wrongful conviction. They came after her family like the dogs from hell for whatever reason, all right? And, and I can tell you some of the reasons. Uh, well, you know, black defendants are always pissed because we only come after the poor guys and, and the guys in the hood selling drugs and stuff. And when you get somebody uh, with a college degree and has a nice job and a home and a family and, and they're of some substance, man, them prosecutors are doing a jig on their desk. Because they go, look, look, we're fair. We go after everybody that breaks laws. Now, I happen to know a lot about your case, and I know these guys didn't break any laws. But, but they're a perfect example of, look, everyone, look down here in the community. Uh, we don't let these guys with money get away with this stuff. That, that doesn't happen. And, and, there was a lot, and this is reverse discrimination in the system because people with, uh, of some means and some assets, uh, they're going to come after you as hard as they do anyone. Because that's where they make their reputations. I convicted this guy and that guy, and I did the whole economic scale from top to bottom. But we're the ones that fight back. We're the ones that have the knowledge, the tools, and the resources. And if we don't have them, we learn how to get them, which you guys have learned. And Olivia Hodge is that nightmare that calls me for the last five years, okay? She never gives up. (laughs) She just never quits. So that's what it takes. You just all can never say no. And you just keep fighting. And, and Pastor Banks is r- right on the money on every sentence. And, and, and of course, Lorraine has lived this thing, and she knows she's getting the lessons. She's learning these lessons the hard way, like most people do. 
and 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 I will tell you that Lorena suffered as much as any family member I've ever dealt with in any case. It, it's oh. that bad, and they just keep coming after. Never stop. Well, what we intend to do, we're going to come back on the other side of the break. I'd like some closing uh, statements from you, uh, Paul, and you, Lorraine, to our listeners. Uh, I can tell you right now, uh, as of not well, uh, we're on the we're Mountain Time. So as of eight o'clock tonight, as we leave this studio, uh, our feet will hit the ground running in search for justice for your son. And those are not words I can promise you that. Uh, we intend to go all in uh, in fight for justice. That's what we do. So uh, I consider you folks family, part of the AJC Radio and the Just Cause family, as we search for justice, uh, not only for Mr. Brooks, for all those that have suffered at the hand of this system. If you can come back right back with us, we'll get your closing thoughts, let you guys go for the evening, and the battle will continue and we will continue to fight for justice. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Do you have a big brother? Well, I have a big brother, and I'm pretty sure that you and I experienced some of the same things with a big brother. Big brothers will always be big brothers, right? I'm sure you'll agree. Well, my brother gets up in the morning. He takes a shower, heads to work, and at some point during the day, he's going to exercise and get that workout, as we all do. And, of course, depending on what's going on, he's going to sit down for two or three meals during the course of his day. And also, depending on what else is going on, he'll probably get caught up on current events and maybe take a few moments to turn a page in a book. How about your big brother? Some of the same stuff, right? Oh, did I mention that my big brother does all of that stuff? But he actually has to have permission a lot of times before he can do it. You see, my big brother was wrongfully convicted of a crime that he did not commit. That's right. That may sound shocking, huh? He's in prison. Wrongful convictions impact families in ways you cannot begin to imagine. But I've decided that I'm going to do something about it. And I extend an invitation to you to come on board and join me in this fight. You see, I'm helping to be a voice for my big brother and others who have been wrongfully convicted. We'd like you to take a few moments today and call a just cause where we fight for justice. You can call us toll free at 1-855-529-4252. That's 1-855-529-4252. Join with us as we fight for justice and for all big brothers across the land. Black History Month is a month of celebration, uh, a month of you know how far we've come, uh, our past, our people of today. Uh, just a celebration of all Black culture. The opportunities that we have today would not exist without the sacrifices uh, of those before us. 
they really paved the way for us. The things that really matter during the month is just to continue to push forward, to make sure we continue honoring those thoughts and, you know, those individuals. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. I wanted to be in the military since I was since I was a kid. I served in the United States Air Force. I served a total of 16 years. I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs I hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die. Coming back, I was raging. I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless. I guess I never recognized it in myself. Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said, I'd like to see somebody. Don't suffer alone. You got to find that link with somebody. It'll make you let it go. It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back, so you owe it to them to live well, because they're not here with their families. Over a million people are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison, like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fair justice. It's time for smart justice. And we need your help. Welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is AJC Radio. We said it once, we'll say it again, where we bring the message of justice around the world. And tonight has not been any exception to that rule, as we've been honored to have uh, Lorraine Brooks, as well as Paul Cialino, talking about the wrongful conviction of Jesse Brooks. And uh, I'll tell you what, a new campaign has kicked off here at AJC Radio to fight for Jesse and we intend to do just that. Thank you guys so much for joining us tonight. We wanted to get some closing thoughts, if you will, of, of, of what would you say to our listeners, uh, Paul and Lorraine, in regards to this battle, this fight. And we will, you know what, the strongest groups most of the time in fighting for justice or whether you're talking about political aspirations, whatever it might be, uh, they call it the grassroots movement. We intend to start that movement uh, and, and do it well and uh, your thoughts right now, Lorraine, if you could, I'll have you go first 
You had something to say to listeners out there that are disillusioned, that are wondering how do we get out of this and, and how do you deal with it from day to day? What would your thoughts be to those listeners tuning in tonight? Well, as far as any mother, I, you know, they're going to they're going to just keep struggling to keep going and doing everything they can. Um, I, I just I appreciate, you know, if you can rally any support, it would be helpful going forward for Jesse's habeas. And we just want to push to reopen this case. I, I know there's going to be pushback because there's so much wrongdoing, but. My goal is to ask to have the case reopened. And if I could get any help with doing that, I would be eternally grateful. Yes. Uh, Paul? Well, listen, I, I want to thank you all from the bottom of my heart. Uh, Just Cause, uh, it, it, this is a magnificent uh, organization. So I would tell your listeners, send you some money. Because you're doing something that's invaluable, and that is communicating. Because if we don't communicate, uh, nobody knows what's going on unless it happens to them personally. So, it, it, like I said before, it's tragic this has happened to your people and your friends, and, and they're suffering like this. But, but it's a godsend for some of the rest of us out here because it has galvanized you all, and you are actually doing something uh, constructive and important. And, and I can't stress how important what what you do is, is is critically important because if we don't have backing of regular people in these wrongful conviction cases, no one listens to you. So your listeners, if if you know someone's wrongfully convicted, show up to court, protest, make your voice heard. You have to get out there and let people know you're watching, you're paying attention, and most importantly at all, we will not elect your little pointy head next time. You're gone. You keep you keep locking up people that don't need to be locked up or are wrongfully locked up. Or you can't, you know, hold off the police on bad investigations and bad arrests. Shame on you. We're going to put somebody else in there that can. So vote, vote locally because national politics, forget about it. Nobody, they have no effect on anything. But the local politics are critical. And a supportive organization such as y'all's is, is, is as important as anything you can be doing. And I thank you all so much for having us on tonight. And, and, and my... Uh, Apologies, we got a little out of control sometimes or talk too much. But um, listen, uh, it was Fine. great hearing this, and it was really, really good for our soul. And y'all are doing God's work, man. And don't, and don't, don't for one second think you're not, because you are. And thank you, uh, Paul Lorraine. And, and my my phone number uh, will be forwarded to you from Olivia. Paul, uh, please make a note of it. Pass it to Lorraine. You guys need to contact me. Don't worry. Olivia, that means Olivia will send it to me about 35 times. So I'm sure I'll memorize it by the time I get to Lorraine. Okay, well, I'll have your contact information as well, and we will join hands right. in, this, uh, in getting this done. And, hey, Paul, we wanted to uh, make sure that we took this time to give you the opportunity. You have a documentary that's coming up speaking about wrongful convictions. Why don't you give the listening audience a little background well, on that? Well, we're working on that, and I will come back on when we're ready to talk about it, gentlemen, because we're just not quite yet. We're getting there, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to be – we're working on a documentary that's going to expose what goes on in this country, and, uh, and, and the world's experts are going to be talking about it, many of whom you all know. So when uh, we get close, uh, you will be one of the first ones we come on and talk to about it, okay? We'll be we happy appreciate to do that. that. Yes. And you folks have a good night, and uh, I, I look forward to talking to you offline. And it's been our honor and our privilege to have you folks on with us tonight. We appreciate it so much. Our prayers go with you as well. Okay. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. Good night.
Good night. Okay, folks, there you have it. Uh, wonderful people there fighting for justice. Dennis, when you hear the passion, uh, I feel the same way Pastor Banks felt uh, in regards to Paul's passion, in regards to Lorraine, uh, knowing that her son spent three years, in, which is inhumane uh, to do that. And uh, your thoughts on just the overall uh, statements of these guests, that they hit me where, where it really counts. Uh, it was it was deep. I mean, uh, uh, when when you got uh, the passion that, that that both of these individuals had in reference to uh, Jesse Brooks and, and just wrongful convictions. Period. Uh, this this is the the motivation. This is the fuel. This is the, the the fuel that we need. I mean, again, like you said, get out there and vote for your state representatives. I mean, uh, America has to come together and realize that we have a problem. And until we get enough people saying that there's a problem, there is no problem. So hopefully, you know, with what AJC is doing and, and then all these different cases that are coming up, uh, hopefully we'll get enough people to come together. And again, I, I, I like what uh, Paul said, you know, don't wait uh, until it happens to you. Get out there now and fight for those that, you know, need help fighting. And, uh, you know, uh, I mean, there's a lot of different things people could do. You can contribute. Uh, monetarily you can get out there and you know voice your opinion you can use we got social media now it's huge and uh again you know contacting your representatives like you said i mean come on there's a lot that we could do and until we come together as a people team together each accomplishes more we got to do it well that's what matters and if you can take a moment close your eyes put yourself in the shoes of lorraine brooks the mother just put your, just take a moment and trans, transfer your son, your daughter, into solitary confinement for three years for a crime they never committed. Just take a moment and go there, and to work and fight will be not, well, won't be a problem at all. And William, your thoughts is we've heard some compelling stuff here. Um, it's unbelievable. It is, and I, but I think one of the things, the key that that. Paul had said in the first segment, he said, don't go quiet. Let your voice be heard. He said, he said, you know, in his, in his, what he was talking about, he said, you know, these are high profile cases. The police will have big press conferences. Hey, we've arrested this person or, you know, and they, and they give some kind of detail about the case that, uh, that, that really forms and shapes the, the jury because they have some kind of knowledge going in there. And then that person that is standing there, is like we said, they're they're actually guilty before being proven innocent, or even before word is spoken. So, as a defendant, as a person that is you know in the family that's involved here, let your voice be heard, and uh, don't go quietly. And I think that's one of the things that that really stood out to me, you know, the comments that was made. But I, but another thing was is that it was the sad thing was that. This is happening, you know, and, it, and, 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 and it's it's almost you listen to Paul and he was talking about he's been he's been involved with the Innocence Project since its inception, since, you know, the early stages. And I guess for him, as he's talking about it, it is this has become so common that it's like, yeah, you know, this is happening, well, it's, it, it's, you know, and that's 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 really an eye opening, eye opening thing. Well, it's a real situation. It's not a production uh, a movie that you can say, okay, folks, take your places. The movie's over. Cut. No, this is reality. This, these are lives of men and women across this nation that have suffered trauma 
uh, from a system that we call justice in this nation. And we should honestly, this we don't know what the meaning of the word is in this country when we see and hear this type of treatment. Uh, to try to change his, uh, uh, Jesse Brooks' records uh, where it looks like he's on death row. Uh, how insane are you? This country, man, I'm going to tell you, uh, there's a lot to pray about. And we need to pray for, uh, pray for people across this country. We lack no prayer material, if you will, for the hurting of this nation. And just, just in this particular uh, category of criminal injustice, uh, of wrongful convictions, of taking a person's life. I mean, the tears that have been shed, not only by Lorraine Brooks, uh, by Pastor Banks, by family members, by children, by siblings, by friends, by business associates, nobody knows the tears that have been shed as a result of wrongful convictions. We're going to take a quick break on the other side. We're going to get uh, do our wrap-up here, uh, bring some more information regarding what's going on in prisons, the wrongful conviction epidemic. I'm telling you, out of control in America. We'll be right back. This is AJC Radio. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that, life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today. 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room, to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. She's coined a new term for the times we're living in. Brace for it, parents of America. Alternative facts. Alternative facts. What? Alternative facts, lies, we fit. Also known as stereotypes or false narratives. It's like saying black history began with slavery. That's offensive. Or that we'll never see another black president in our lifetime. What about me? This Black History Month, we're focusing on the facts, not on facts. Indisputable. Truth. Real. Black magic is real. Black boy joy is real. Black wealth is real. Black beauty is real. Black support is real. Black excellence is real. It's real. Black love, that's real. Black lives are real. I'm real. Black history didn't begin with slavery, and it doesn't end with the Obamas. Whom we love and miss. No, like, really, we really miss you. Facts. 
Uh, welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen of America. AJC Radio, uh, without question, getting the job done. Honored tonight having Paul Cialino and L- Lorraine Brooks on our program tonight. Honored guest here telling the story of true injustice. And a little bit about Paul, was actually a veteran of the U.S. Army, served as a sergeant in the combat arm of the military police, where he was a member of the first civilian trained SWAT team, went on to become the lead homicide and child molestation investigator for the Department of Children and Family Services in the state of Illinois. During that time, he obtained over 200 written confessions in homicides and child-related sexual assaults. Uh, Paul, we salute you tonight. Thank you for your service to this nation uh, and to this country with what he's done. Dennis, as a veteran here, uh, some pretty strong uh, pedigree here. Oh yes, I mean he, he's truly he, he he's truly about uh, doing the right thing for the wrongfully convicted. I mean uh, that's a lot of years uh, spending time out there fighting and uh, fighting for Jesse. I, I mean you could you could hear the passion in his voice. Uh, he, he didn't cut no slack. I mean he talked about the prosecutors. I mean he, I mean just be real. I mean let's be real and and I think that's what we need. In our advocacy, you know, be real. Come on. You know, let's not sugarcoat anything. Let's say it the way it is and make sure people understand we got a problem. Well, Lorraine Brooks, uh, a a born at really a immediate advocate uh, for justice as a result. And sometimes it kind of works out that way. Once you suffer at the hand of injustice, you immediately become an advocate uh, against these types of actions and, and, and treatments of especially when it comes so close to home with your son or your family member. Uh, and we need advocates. Advocates from primarily, I believe, are born in pain, through pain, and through situations uh, that they have experienced. So we're very honored to have them on our show and look forward, Lisa, uh, to working with uh, Lorraine and, and with Paul uh, in regards to these efforts uh, to fight for justice, as we definitely need to do. Absolutely. I mean, we're always looking for something to fight for. We don't stop. So, I mean, whatever... Whatever help we can be, we want to be that for the people who are out there who really need our help. Oh, absolutely right. And right now, let's play a clip right now of uh, really the collateral damage of wrongful convictions here in America. I remember sitting through the trial saying there's absolutely no way that he's going to be be Joel Broderick and Leah Ray Smith Banker were just 20 and 21 years old when their father was sentenced to 12 to 16 years in prison. When this all started, I had just graduated from high school. I was a uh, captain of the football team and, you know, wrestler and ran track and, you know, sports star. You know, I had my dad around for everything and I, you know, it was just about the right, the time when I was, uh, getting ready to have to learn how to be a man and learn how to learn how to do things, you know, like, uh, you know, learn how to read a tape measure and learn how to do stuff that your father teaches you. And just at that time, you know, he ended, he got locked up. The two were young and their father was now missing out on some of life's biggest moments. The, all the things that, you know, you call your dad for that you can't call your dad for. I got married a year from my first date. With my husband, and he was there. My brother walked me down the aisle. Their father was now a ghost in the memories that were being made. I mean, my life happened so fast, and so many changes came that it, that I just didn't have his input for. There, you know, there's 
we have all these pictures and then he's just not in them. For Joel, life's path was a bumpy one. After his father's conviction, he got addicted to drugs and alcohol and was in prison himself. I, you know, I struggled with drugs and alcohol and like literally right off the, right off the gate, as soon as that happened, I, I, I just, I just decided I was just going to numb myself, you know, I, I, and not think about it, you know. Um, I, I dealt with it by trying not to think about him because if I try not to think about him, then I didn't have to deal with all the, you know, the, the emotions that come with it and the, you know, the heartache. Not only were the brother and sister facing life hardships without their father, they were also dealing with the ridicule of the community and some of their own family. His, his mother passed away when my son was six months old, and he couldn't be there for that. And you go there, I remember at my grandmother's funeral, there's a stigma of there's Ron John's daughter and her, you know, her husband and son, and my dad's not there. And people, you know, don't believe you. They don't believe they've been and every you know that everybody's whispering in the background and and you you know you say he didn't do it and people don't want to listen everybody loves my dad like all my friends he was you know just, just, just a, everybody's like where's your dad how's your dad and then it turned from you know everybody you know my dad like a father figure to everybody all my friends had a ton of friends you know um going from that to every time somebody asks you know, where's your dad? How's, how's Ron John doing? You know, to me, I, w- I used to lie and say that he was in jail for murder because it was a better than the alternative. The two thought their father would never make it out of prison. All these appeals were coming up, and then we were like, he's definitely going to get out of this one. Definitely. And a year would go by. And then I talked to him on the phone, and he would say, uh, it's gonna, uh, I don't know, son. It might be another year. They said, we are going for another appeal to pay for him, but you know how long. It's the last time they said it gonna be you know maybe september and now it's two september's from now and uh, it's just uh, a nightmare i remember thinking that my kids are never gonna know their grandpa they're never gonna have a grandpa he's gonna die he's not young you know it's not like this happened when he was 30 years old right he was 56 years old and all decade over a decade had gone by and He's never going to know these beautiful grandkids. And I know that he, he, he would be exactly the grandfather that he is today. Despite their father's absence, Leah Ray still remembers the few things he could do for them while he was locked away. He would send um, birthday presents and for all the kids all the time, dream catchers. He, he spent so much time in there thinking about us and our family and doing stuff for the kids. Leah Ray says that this incident changed her. She now sees things from a different perspective. It changes every aspect of your thinking. It puts that. It, it changes it when you see um, a convicted child molester raped on TV. I remember before and going, "Yeah, good." You know what I mean? They got every. Now you wonder what really happened. You question so much when this happens to your family. Leah Ray now travels with her father to innocence conventions all over the country, where together they fight to keep this from happening to others. And my dad was actually on the short end of time. 14 years is, you know, a quarter of a lifetime. And 
there were people who did 30, 40, and this is going on everywhere in America. And it has to stop. It has to stop. Now that their family has been reunited, they are slowly trying to put the pieces back together. Do you love him? Yeah. Yeah? What's your favorite thing to do with your grandpa? <laughs> there you have it. Um, Heart wrenching. Ladies and gentlemen of America, we have an issue and we, it needs attention now. Wrongful convictions in America continue to spiral out of control. Because we have too many on the sidelines that have vowed to remain silent. Consider, for example, Rafael Serez in 1997 in Tucson. Serez was convicted of a vicious felony assault for which another uh, man had already pleaded guilty to. Serez's lawyer interviewed the woman who called 911 to report uh, the incident as well as a second eyewitness, both said that Serez did not attack the victim and, in fact, had attempted to stop the assault. A third witness told the lawyer that he heard the victim say that he would lie in court to get Serez convicted. None of these witnesses were called to testify at trial. Serez was convicted and sentenced to five years. After these facts came to light in the year 2000, Serez was released. He had lost his house. His job and his plan to become a paralegal had been derailed. His wife had divorced him, and he had lost parental rights to their three children, including one born while he was locked up. Serez sued his former lawyer, who by then had been disbarred. He got $1 million judgment, but the lawyer had no assets and filed for bankruptcy, barring a miracle Serez would never see. Dennis, your thoughts on that? It's sad. I mean, again, uh, we're talking about wrong, wrongful convictions and people being exonerated and the, you know, the increase in wrongful convictions. And then uh, the lack of compensation uh, for the time spent, for the lives ruined, for families broken. I mean, it's crazy. And, and until we, we get laws in place that, that make sure that when someone is wrongfully convicted, uh, they're guaranteed compensation. Uh, either by the prosecutor or by the state. But, uh, I mean, it, it's sad. It really is because people only look at the person that's wrongfully, wrongfully convicted. They don't think about the families. Just like you said, he got he ended up being divorced, uh, losing uh, yeah, his children, you know, contact with his children. Come on. Somebody has to pay for that. Well, people have to know the price tag of wrongful convictions. On people's lives. There are people who have taken their lives. As a result of the system going after them. The young man, I forget his name, who was in uh, Rikers uh, Rikers Island. Uh, Was that Khalif Khalif, Browder? Khalif Browder. Uh, Went out. Spent, I don't know how many years, one to two years, and never was charged with a crime but spent that time at one of the most horrific jails in New York. Rikers Island, man, that's a straight, that is, I have talked to people 
during my wrongful conviction who came from Rikers, who shared with me the horrors of Rikers Island, that you fight for your life every single day, and you put a teenager in that environment without even being charged with a crime, and later they, the, he was so scared of going back there once he was released, they said they were going to arrest him for stealing a backpack. You know what Khalif did? He went outside his front door, went to the side of the house, and wrapped an air-conditioned cord around his neck and took his life. You want to talk about the price of wrongful convictions, of injustice in this nation? Just go to your nearest cemetery. There's a story to tell. This is tragic. And this is, these are one of these things that, look, I don't know what you're watching on TV, ladies and gentlemen, what you don't know about wrongful convictions. You have no idea. You have no idea every time you lay down on a bunk and there's nobody there but you. When you got to be told when to go to the bathroom, when to get up, when to eat, when to be humiliated and told to bend over and cough by another man. You have no concept, ladies and gentlemen. And until you look into this, till you live it, till you see it, till you hear from people that have suffered this abuse, while a nation stands idly by and does nothing, does nothing, it is unacceptable. I said it before, I'll say it again, you'd no longer have the right to remain silent. You are complicit in the suffering of those when you fail to speak out. You are complicit in Lorraine Brooks' pain when you refuse to call attention to the injustice and you know about it. You are complicit with Khalif Browder's death when you refuse to speak out for those that took his life and contributed to his life being taken. You are complicit for the young man in Florida who was locked in a shower jail, a shower cell and cooked to death while officers locked the door and laughed and mocked him as he died begging for his life. This is the reality. This is the reality. Please get involved. Till next time, America, this is AJC Radio saying goodnight. to our viewers how it was that you had these guys who confessed. Uh, there was no physical evidence. Uh, they confessed. Uh, they were not guilty. And yet a lot of people in the community uh, were quick to simply accept that they were guilty. Right. I mean, the only evidence that was presented against them were these statements that they'd given. And they, they ultimately gave these videotape statements, which pr- proved to be very convincing. Um, but the problem was as you said, there was no evidence. Uh, the DNA tests were negative. And I think that the fact that people were so quick to believe that they had done it, the story the police had concocted and, and provided to the press, had a lot to do with the time. As you said, the, 
The city was very different in those days, and people were afraid. The crime rates were higher, and uh, it, it seemed like a scary place. And I think that people were particularly afraid of minority teenage boys in particular. And so these kids who were 14, 15, and 16 somehow seemed like exactly the thing that people feared, and it made sense to them, even though there was no evidence. According to the Innocence Project, we have nearly 120,000 people behind bars in the United States for crimes that they did not commit. Now, this is an estimate that the Innocence Project, ha uh, Project has put out there, but uh, it isn't so far-fetched when you think about the way our justice system works. Now, there are two issues with our justice system right now as it stands. First of all, uh, prosecutors and cops and authorities can lie to people while they are interrogating them or investigating them in order to get confessions. And oftentimes it will lead to a confession to a crime that the person actually didn't commit at all. In fact, uh, a 1969 Supreme Court ruling made it legal for cops to lie to suspects in pursuit of confessions. So for instance, let's say you have two suspects, right? You'll separate them and uh, one of the cops will basically tell one of the individuals that's being investigated, hey, your friend said that you committed the crime. Is it true? And then it'll basically snowball into the person either confessing to something they didn't do or alleging that their friend did something that they didn't do. The second problem is that there's a tremendous amount of pressure to take plea deals. In fact, um, if you really think about the number of federal cases, the vast majority of them end in plea deals. Now, first of all, let's talk about the number of exonerations, okay? Of the 321 DNA exonerations that have occurred in the United States, 30 have involved people who originally pled guilty to crimes they didn't commit. So this isn't like an isolated case here and there. This happens often. And also, according to the Innocence Project, estimates between 2.3% and 5% of all U.S. prisoners are innocent. The American prison population numbers about 2.4 million. Using those numbers, as many as 120,000 innocent people could currently be in prison.